From the Los Angeles Times, this is The Envelope, the podcast, your ultimate guide to award season. We're your hosts. I'm Mark Olson. And I'm Yvonne Villarreal. Every week, our podcast showcases key voices across both film and TV. And today, we're so excited to have Anya Taylor-Joy as a guest on our show. She recently played Beth in the Netflix drama, The Queen's Gambit. And if you're anything like me, you binge that entire series in about two days. So I spoke with Anya, and one thing I asked her is what it's like to see the show get so super popular so fast. I've never been in something that's been so widely watched by such a huge variety of people. And that that really makes me gleeful. You know, I, I get messages saying, my 80-year-old grandparents have never binged anything and they're obsessed with the show. That interview is coming up in just a couple minutes. This episode of the Envelope podcast is sponsored by Apple TV Plus, presenting the animated film Wolfwalkers. A young apprentice hunter journeys to Ireland with her father to help wipe out the last wolf pack. Everything changes when she befriends a free-spirited girl from a mysterious tribe, rumored to transform into wolves by night. Go to fyc.appletvplus.com for more. Before we get to Yvonne's conversation with Anya, let's turn things over to our critic, Glenn, for Glenn Whip's Awards Minute. I'm a member of the Los Angeles Film Critics Association, and we vote uh, in about a week and a half on the best of 2020, which seems like a really weird exercise this year. And it's a different thing, too, not just because all of these movies, for the most part, we saw at home and not in theaters, but some of the best things that I've seen this year, and I know other critics who are friends of mine feel the same way, is Steve McQueen's Small Acts Anthology of Movies. It's five films varying in length from, you know, a feature length of about an hour and 45 minutes down to um, around an hour. And they all look at race in Great Britain in some way or another. Steve McQueen, who made 12 Years a Slave, who made Widows, um, one of the great filmmakers uh, working today. But these... Five films are going to be competing, not at the Oscars, but at the Emmys, because they've been designated a limited series, even though like one of them, Mangrove, which is a courtroom drama, much better than The Trial of the Chicago 7. It's like the courtroom drama of the year is it's like around two hours. So it's a feature length film, but it's part of this anthology series. But I can see critics groups including L.A., um, totally rewarding McQueen and his movies because they're some of the best films we've seen this year. Uh, We've been talking for years about how the lines between movies and television with streaming are just completely blurred. This year, they're just erased. Everything is viewed at home. There's no demarcation. And I think you're going to see that Um, reflected in critics' groups' votes. We'll see. Thank you, Glenn. And now let's get to your interview with Anya Teller-Joy, Yvonne. I assume you spoke about wallpaper and chess? Oh, yes. I mean, I was so curious how Anya was able to remember all of those chess moves because I know for sure I would not be able to do it. 
She makes it look so easy on the show. She really did. And maybe we can try to learn together after the episode, Yvonne. But for now, let's get to your interview with Anya Taylor-Joy. Anya, thanks so much for being with me. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Where are you at? I am currently good. I am working, which I feel very lucky to be able to say. But yeah, I'm I'm working in Northern Ireland. I'm about to finish my work on this movie and then I will be going home. Which movie? There are so many these days with you. I am currently working on Robert Eggers' The Northman. So you must be really cold all the time. Yes, I am cold all the time. And let me tell you, I know this sounds silly, but cold in August is not the same as cold in November. It's a lot. It's a lot. How has it been shooting during a pandemic? Does it feel any different? I mean, yes, in the sense of we're all masked. So I guess that's the way that the rest of the world feels. Um, But I've been so impressed with our production team and the way that they've managed to keep us all safe, have us getting COVID tested all the time, and yet we're not skimping on the quality of the art. And that feels really special. And I think we're very blessed as a movie that the majority of our stuff is outside. So that helps. Was that first day a little daunting or... Did it feel somewhat normal? Was there a lot of like training or tutorials you had to watch? I think a lot of it is mostly common sense in terms of keeping distance from people. But for me as an Argentine, the toughest thing is not being able to hug the people that I care about so much. It's showing up and seeing, you know, especially so many of these people worked with me on The Witch and they're my original like forever family. So seeing them and not being able to give them a massive hug, that required a lot of self-restraint. Well, how would you describe how the last few weeks have been since the show launched? I mean, the way the word of mouth has sort of brought this thing to sort of massive attention has been amazing to see. Like, how would you describe it? I mean, it's been mental. Like, that's it's the only way I can really... It's Words don't even apply. I think... Um, When I first read the story, I was obsessed and I was excited and I could see it all the way that, you know, it ended up being. And it's weird to see other people doing it now. I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is incredible. But also I think because of the fact that I am filming, it's super surreal because when I'm not working, I'm isolating. And so it all exists on my phone in this way that I'm like, is this happening? Have I spent too long on top of the mountain? Do I need to like get myself checked out? But it's it's beautiful. And I'm so glad that people are connecting with with Beth and her story. It just, it really moves me. Are you getting a lot of messages or what are the discussions you're seeing happening? It's It's everything. I think it's, I've never been in something that's been so widely watched by such a huge variety of people. And that really, um, that really makes me gleeful. You know, I, I get messages saying, my 80-year-old grandparents have never binged anything and they're obsessed with the show and like they're watching it again. And that brings me so much joy because I also think that um, the story that we're presenting is a story where overcoming your personal demons is something that's achievable. It's where people treat each other with respect. It's where broken people come together and help each other out. It has a message of you know, there is a place for you in the world. You can find it no matter how niche you think you are. And also that we're stronger together. And all of those things are messages that I'm really behind. And so the fact that the world's getting behind it is is really exciting. It's funny that you mentioned that because like I always do a search on Twitter of how people are responding to a show of someone that I'm about to interview. And it's so funny to see like 
you know, people talking about their obsession with it. And also like, I was just texting my mom about it or my mom and my dad. And it's just funny how it's become like this family thing at a time when some of us can't be with our families, but yet we're connecting with a show like this. It's pretty interesting. It's it's really beautiful. I'm sorry if I'm not being very um, intelligent in the way I'm responding. I'm just genuinely overwhelmed. Like it's it's so beautiful and it's so wonderful, but it's also still very close to my heart in the sense that I only stopped being Beth last December. And so there's still a part of me that's like, oh my God, I'm showing you like all of the intricacies of me and this person. Ah. <laughs> the thing that like was so hard for me was like, I wish I understood chess so like I could totally understand. Like, I mean, it's a masterclass intention. Like, even though I didn't understand, like, I wish I could get the drama of what's happening on the board. Like, obviously, I still got it, but I wish I fully understood what was happening there. And I'm like, I just don't know if I could ever grasp chess. Look, I think something that was very important to me coming into it was like originally I thought I was going to become a chess goddess and, you know, it was going to be my, I don't know, party trick forevermore of like, look at me, I'm fucking, I'm beat, sorry, I'm like unbeatable at chess. But the reality of shooting three projects with a day off in between was like, there was, I, there was physically not enough time for that, but it was very important for me to have a theoretical understanding of the game because people care about it so much that I didn't feel like I could in any good conscience show up and be like, yeah, I'll like, I'll just pretend I know what I'm doing. It's fine. One of the things that's so beautiful about chess is that there's nearly like an infinite amount of sequences that you can, you know, play out. And that makes me really excited. So you should just like learn the basics and then just go for it. It's fun. I mean, now's the perfect time, right? We're like at home, we need stuff to do. I, I saw a story that like chess has become like a game during the pandemic. So maybe I will take it up after we talk. But how was that for you of diving into this world? Like you say, you didn't have much time with shooting projects. What was your approach to sort of understanding what you were doing? The theory I studied the theory I I just learned, and I had some wonderful um, chess teachers, Bruce Pandolfini. Um, I just adore that man. He's so cool. And his voice makes me so happy. But then when it came to the actual games, I think one of the first things we shot in Berlin was a whole day of tournament pieces in Mexico City. And they'd given me this massive tome with 350 chess sequences in it, like chess, full chess games. And I'd like started working through it and started memorizing it. I showed up, they changed the first game and I went, no, 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 absolutely not. This is how this is going to work. You're going to show me the sequences five minutes before we play. I'm going to store that in my short-term memory. I'm going to remember the choreography. I'm going to execute it. I'm going to bin it and then give me the next one because there's no, it just, it was impossible otherwise. Um, and that became so much fun for me. I love choreography. I'm a dancer. Um, so yeah, it was just like choreography for my fingers. I loved it. Wow. Sort of dive into that a little bit more. Like how, I don't know how you do it. So as a dancer, a lot of your classes are somebody is ahead of you and shows you a sequence of moves and then just have them in your body immediately just by looking at them. I just did that with my fingers. I saw the way, I saw the patterns that it made. I locked that in and then I executed it and... I moved on. It's very difficult to understand the alchemy of that, but it worked. And the bit that I'm most proud of 
is the speed chess on the three different boards. There's a beautiful photograph that Scott took of me um, after our first take, and it was genuine unbridled joy. I I don't know how I did it. I don't know if I could do it again, but I did it when it counted, and I was very proud. Well, because it's one thing, I guess what fascinates me is like, it's one thing to sort of memorize something, but to memorize and also look like you know what you're doing, that like it's intuitive is another thing. Like, how did you sort of marry that together? I'm very blessed with the connection that I have with my characters. And I don't know whether that's because I'm genuinely so deluded that I trick myself into believing I can do these things. But it it does say something about the power of confidence, doesn't it? Because when I was in Beth's head, when I was living with her, she found chess fun and easy and exhilarating. And I, by proxy, found it fun and easy and exhilarating and um, it, it, I find it really interesting when people ask me, how did you think a show about people playing chess was, you know, going to be interesting in that way? And I'm like, there's so much going on between these two people. It is so intense. If you stick a camera between them, it's going to be exciting. Like, of course it is. What fascinated you about Beth, the way she was drawn to chess, what she was seeking out of it, and what ultimately she couldn't get out of it? I... When I first read the book, I felt so, to borrow a 2020 phrase, seen by the character. I just, so much of the book hurt me in a way that I recognized, oh, this hurts because it applies to me and because it's true. One of the first things I really connected with Beth on was her inherent loneliness and her desire to find a place where she was of some value in this world. You know, she... She had such a traumatic childhood and everybody that she's ever connected with has abandoned her or she's been ripped away from them. And I think chess is the first time that she's like, oh, I'm good at this. This allows me to have connections with people, but on my terms. And as she says, you know, she's in control. She's in control of what goes on in there. And I think um, the way that Beth was desperate for chess, I was desperate for making art. I was desperate for performing. What what did you sort of glean from this idea of isolation from playing Beth? Like, did you come to appreciate elements of isolation and see how it can be dangerous at times? Oh, absolutely. I think um, as a kid, because I moved country when I was very young and I didn't speak the language, I had built this story in my head that lonely was bad, like very bad. Being alone was bad. You don't know what can happen when you're alone. Like, just don't be alone. And especially in this job, that's quite a damaging um, thought process to have because you're surrounded by people and then you're alone in a hotel room. And that's just a recipe for disaster. Of course, it's not good to be too isolated in a sense that's damaging to yourself, but having enough quiet time to hear your own thoughts and actually understand how you feel about something is priceless. And how was that to sort of show on screen. I mean, there's a look that I think everyone has commented on that you have in this show, like that you say so much in the silent moments. There's a lot that you express with just your face. I can't even describe the look that you give. And it, it it's sort of amazing how it translates from Isla, who plays young Beth, and the way you've carried that over. I'm sort of curious, like how important was it for you to either observe what she was doing Did you have discussions with her? We got to meet, which because obviously we have no scenes together. So that was lovely. And um, I got to walk around the orphanage with her for a while and just, you know, sort of 
see my past experiences, see how she was um, how she was performing it. But I think the most important thing originally was we wanted her to have an original go-to position when she's staring at the board. Because these are things that you have to think about when you're making a show that basically takes place in an extreme close-up with your hands in your face. So I think she, I, I walked in and I was like, how do you feel about bunching your fists and, you know, putting them on your cheekbones? She goes, yeah, I think that's going to work really well. And I was like, oh, and if I take that on for a little bit and then move it? And she's like, yeah, I think Beth would do that. So we had, we had some great chats. This episode of the Envelope Podcast is sponsored by Apple TV Plus, presenting the animated film Wolf Walkers. A young apprentice hunter journeys to Ireland with her father to help wipe out the last wolf pack. Everything changes when she befriends a free-spirited girl from a mysterious tribe, rumored to transform into wolves by night. Go to fyc.appletvplus.com for more. We should talk about Mr. Scheibel, who Isla, as young Beth, has a lot of scenes with. And he's he's Beth's mentor who sort of introduces her to this world of chess. And I wonder, who was the Mr. Scheibel in your life? Like, who was that person sort of lifting you up, either in acting and dancing and anything in your life, like bringing you into that world? Oh, wow. Um, I've been so lucky with so many of my mentors that have been so kind. I guess the first person really is Robert Eggers. You know, the connection that we have, the way that we work, the way that we've been able to see each other grow in a, in a you know, a very unique situation. We both completely understand where the other person has come from. And, uh, you know, I, I hope to keep working with him for the rest of my life. But actually on this job, it was Scott, my director, is the most wonderful human being in the planet. And he cared so much about my own well-being, not just the way that I could portray Beth, but how I was doing and how I was doing living with her. Yeah, he allowed a space where I just, because I had no skin between me and Beth. It was whatever Beth was feeling, I was feeling it. And it was up to me to be able to differentiate, is this mine? Or is this just because of what I'm filming today? Am I actually deeply unhappy? Or is it just because we're filming The Return to Henry Clay? Um, and Scott was so good at having that space open for me and um, and keeping me safe within it. Well, there's also the element of addiction that sort of goes hand in hand with Beth's genius. What was that like for you to sort of navigate? Like in thinking about... Is she drinking because she's feeling isolated or is she taking these pills to sort of strategize the game and like, you know, get a leg up? Like, how did you sort of balance the different thought processes that she might have been going through in relation to her addiction? I, I think it's actually it's, it's more than balance. It's accurate. You know, whatever an addict is going to a substance for. Originally, it worked. 
Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. You know, the the danger with addiction is it's unsustainable. And at some point, your life is going to get completely derailed. It was part of the first conversation that I ever had with Scott was how do we make sure that all the chess sequences are entirely different? And how do we make sure that all the binging on substance sequences are entirely different? Because you as the audience member need to feel what she's going to the substance for. So yes, sometimes the tranquilizers are because she can't separate their power over her with her genius. She doesn't know whether they're inextricably linked or, or not. And sometimes she's drinking because she's lonely. Sometimes she's drinking because she's celebrating and she feels that this is what glamorous people do when they win. They drink champagne. Like, this is what happens. Um, so it was fascinating. But honestly, that level of genius and the way that she coped with it at her age, it all felt pretty natural to me. It made sense to me. What did you sort of latch on to in her upbringing to help inform her trajectory in the in the time that you played her, like her evolution? I think the fact that as a belief system, one of them for her is people hurt you. People are not to be relied on. You know, they can come close, but they'll have some sort of ulterior motive. Like there's something very dangerous about people. And I think... Um, there's a part of her that actually gets very frustrated that she can't predict what human beings are going to do. Like genuine frustration of like, ah, that is not how I thought you were going to react to that. And that really bothers me. I wish I could just control you. Um, so yeah, I think her her issues with control come from her childhood very much so. I've read in past roles that you've done that sometimes you create a playlist for yourself as you prepare to go on set and stuff. Did you have a playlist set for the role of Beth? Oh, absolutely. And it's like one of my favorites. It's really good. Tell me. Well, the first music that I ever fell in love with was music from the 60s. Um, so I basically just went through all of my favorite songs and thought, which of these songs has Beth energy? Great, great, great. I think my favorite one is Fujiyama Mama by Wanda Jackson. Because that is just Beth to me. There's even from the the timbre of her voice, like it's that raw, like ah thing. Um, so yeah, a lot of that and a lot of the Kinks because both Beth and I are big fans of the Kinks. Was there a match that was particularly hard or stressful for you to get your mind wrapped around, or where you really wanted to change things up, either with the physicality of the way she moves the pieces or anything like that? Interesting. Um, I guess the first defeat from Borgov in Mexico City, it's a very big moment from Beth. Like she's acting very petulant because her mother's not there and she's embarrassed and horrified. And, you know, this guy's really gracing on her. So I think the only concern I had was I'm like, Am I being too much like a spoiled little kid right now? Or am I going to get away with this? Um, but Scott didn't say anything. So I just tend to bin those thoughts and move on. I was always fascinated. I'm like, what is she actually writing on those notepads? Did you write actual things? I mean, I think I think for a lot of them I did. And then other ones, less so. <laughs> it's difficult because the first time I sat down to do it, I tried to write a squiggle. And honestly, it just does. It doesn't work. It's not right for the tempo of the game. You have to be writing something. Sometimes I'd like see what weird poetry I could come up with using like four letter words or things like that. 
Have you seen the way like there's already breakdowns of particular matches? Like people are really like zooming in and examining everything. Like how has that been to sort of see the way, you know, chess lovers have sort of dissected this show? It's so wonderful because we, you know, we made the chess matches for the people who were going to do this. And so it's, you know, all of the all of the games are based on historically epic games, you know, in history that have actually happened. And so that was the intention. So that pe- the fact that people are catching on to that and enjoying it, that's it's the dream. How much did like the hair and the evolution of her wardrobe, like how how much did that sort of inform you in terms of what was going on in her head? Massively. And it started right at the very beginning in our prep period. Um, I was so lucky with Daniel Parker and Gabrielle Binder. They just had me very much a part of the process. And so Gabrielle and I had endless fittings where we would just sit and go, okay, so what's the first thing that she's looking for in clothes? She doesn't want to be bullied at school. She wants to ingratiate herself. She wants, you know, the fucking shoes that the girls have, that that's what she wants. Okay, where are we moving on to that? She sees her first Audrey Hepburn movie. She discovers her first pair of jeans. Like, where does that move her on to? And it was, it's great because it really helped me figure out what state of mind Beth was in. That's the beautiful thing about costume. You know, you as an actor have to think this is how this individual would choose to dress themselves today. And that tells you a lot about their state of mind. Well, even as we got to the end, I later read something. I think it was like in Vogue or something because I'm like, by the end, she looks like a chess piece. And that was like intentional. And I thought that was beautiful. I love I love that whole outfit. Um, All of Beth in Russia makes me really happy because I feel like that's when Beth's like, okay, this is who I am. This is how I present myself. I am here to take no prisoners. Let's do it. And the power suits were pretty cool. Well, I wonder, because you have these projects that you're working on, Northman, you got the Mad Max sequel, are you able to continue this this love of chess in your downtime? Is there no downtime? Is it something you want to continue in some form? I have a couple of beautiful chess boards um, that I love very much. I have one with me here, so I can play at home. Where I have to check myself with chess is that I get very aggressive. I think Beth passed that on to me, but it's less nice when you're not a chess master and when the, I mean, the expletives that come out of my mouth are pretty intense. So I think... Uh, the people around me are like, okay, let's not play chess tonight, Anya. Let's move on to something different. You're not the gracious, here's my handshake. Well, I mean, Beth is more passive aggressive in that sense. I just get frustrated. <laughs> the other element that I wanted to talk to you about is the house and the wallpaper. Mm-hmm. I wanted all that wallpaper. I want a bedspread that matches my wallpaper. <laughs> I want it all. What was it like being in that space? Oh, Uli is so good. Our production designer, he's just brilliant. Each set was so much fun to walk around in. And each set felt like shopping that couldn't actually happen because it's not a real store. I'd walk in and I'd go, oh, I have to have that sofa. Please sell me that sofa. And they're like, Anya, you don't have a house. I don't care. I must have that sofa. Um, No, it was so much fun. And it also, it's... It's interesting because we're very period accurate while still creating a unique world. And I think that's one of the bits that I enjoy the most about 
visual storytelling is if the camera language, the wallpaper, the creepy cats, you know, on the wall, like all of that tells you something about where the character is and what world you are stepping into. If you're not doing that, I don't really understand what you're doing. Well, every, I mean, I know we get this epic ending and it sort of brings everything together, but everyone is wondering, will we get a second season? And what can you share on that? Like, what do you think that could be if it, if it were to happen? Never say never in this universe is something that I've learned over the years, but I do think we made a limited series. Like we were not planning on coming back for another season. Something that I really love about what we have presented the world with is you start off with Beth as a sapling and by the end of it, she has become a tree. So I guess you could see the tree grow more, but the huge transformation from sapling to tree has has occurred. Maybe we could get a spin-off on Jolene. Oh, absolutely. Moses is just amazing. The dream. So, so good. Where do you think Beth is now in her life? Oh, there are so many different... It's funny, actually. One that I never thought of that audience members have brought to my attention. They're like, does she stay in Russia? Is she going to become a spy? What's the deal? And I was like, never thought about it, but not a bad idea. I'd come back for that season. I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I just hope that she is, that she has managed to continue that feeling of contentment with who she is. Look, as human beings, I, I hate the idea of people thinking that happiness and contentment is a destination that you get to because it's just not true. We are constantly riding the waves of our emotions and what's going on in the world around us. But I do think you can cultivate and through hard work, find a sense of self that you can ground in within yourself. And by the end of it, I feel like that's where Beth is. Beth is at a place where she's like, I can breathe. I can stop hating on myself all the time. I can stop giving myself a hard time about why I'm not like everybody else. She can just exist in her own skin. And um, I hope she's still doing that. I think that's what's fascinating is like the women characters that surround Beth, what could have happened if they were allowed to sort of be themselves? Where could they be now in life versus like what they were sort of dealt with and the limitations that were placed on them? And then you see like the men around her too. Like, what did you think of that sort of juxtaposition? It's been very interesting seeing people's reaction in terms of we're all really traumatized by trauma. Everyone is so surprised that apart from Mr. Wheatley, and even then he's, you know, a pathetic character. He's not somebody who's necessarily a a huge threat. People are just so relieved that there's no threat, that there's no danger from the men around her. And I I mean, I I think that says a lot about where we are in the world. And one of my favorite things about Beth is... She seems to have been born without the textbook of you're a woman in the late 50s, early 60s. This is what you're allowed to want. This is the avenue that you're allowed to take up. This is the space that you have. And because of her upbringing or her genius or something, she's outside of that slightly. And I love the fact that she's genuinely baffled when people bring up her gender. Genuinely, like just doesn't understand what that has to do with anything about her playing and about her accomplishments. And I do think it's a beautiful vision of the world that maybe we can work towards a space where 
your dreams are not dictated to you by your gender or the gender that you identify with. It's just whatever you want in life, you can achieve it. You just have to work really hard. Well, before I let you go, we're in a pandemic that's getting worse as we get into winter. So it's important that we stay home. And so recommendations on things to watch is very crucial, at least for me. So I was hoping you could tell me what you've been watching. Oh, so much. Um, Yesterday, I watched the documentary 20 Feet from Stardom, which I had missed out on and was fascinating. It was so beautiful to hear all of those voices that were so familiar to me and and put faces to them. Um, what else have I been watching? At the very beginning of lockdown, I rewatched Breaking Bad. Talk about a masterclass intention. My God. Oh, it's so good. It's still one of the only shows where the last season wasn't good for my health. Like I didn't handle it well. The the level of tension, I had, I kept having to pause it and driving the people I was watching it with crazy because I had to pause and pace. Like, I just wasn't comfortable. <laughs> but it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, so, yeah. Well, it's funny because, like, I was watching Queen's Gambit simultaneously as I was watching, like, the results of our recent election. And both were just, like... I don't know what's happening. And yet I can't stop watching like these games. Like, I don't know what's happening on the board, but like I am like riveted and my eyes are glued. So it was like a weird like combination to have during election week. But I got through it. I, I am glad that our characters were there to to accompany you. I think everybody needed a friend. Well, still needs a friend. It's It's been a year. It's been a year. It's been a year. Well, I hope that the rest of the year treats you well. Hopefully when this thing's over, we could play a game of chess because I'm going to need some help. Yes, let's do it. Yvonne, that was a really great interview. You know, I also had been curious if they were going to want to make a second season of the show, but, but I do see your point. Did you watch The Queen's Gambit? I did watch The Queen's Gambit. I wasn't too bad as far as like t- it being too tense. Really? Well, my thing was, is like, I wish I knew what was happening on that, you know, the game piece. Like, I didn't know what was happening. I knew it was tense, but like, I wish I understood what it meant like when she moved a, a chess piece in a certain direction. That's what I mean. I was like, I need to learn this, but I also still haven't done it. Well, apparently sales of chess sets are up. So you wouldn't be the only one who wants to, to learn some new chess moves. For sure, definitely. I'm excited to see what else she has coming up. You know, she said she was watching Breaking Bad, which I love. But this time in quarantine, like, I love that I've been able to sort of go back to some of the classics or the recent classics and really, you know, get back to those shows that I know I like and offer comfort. I have definitely gone back and rewatched ER. I have gone back and I've caught up on Grey's Anatomy. Um, Have you done any of those, like, comfort classics? Film-wise or even TV-wise? I haven't, I haven't like, gone back and, like, rewatched series of things. Although uh, I think it's funny hearing some of our guests say that they've gone back and, like, watched Mad Men or Breaking Bad. Like, it definitely made me think, like, hey, maybe I should go back and rewatch some of those old shows, too. But I, I, I have been going back. I watched all three of the Godfather movies early in the in sort of quarantine. I watched three of the Indiana Jones movies. Like it is a time to sort of like really like sit with stuff and sort of like dig in. 
You know, my brother was watching The Godfather recently, and it's a movie that I know I've seen in the past, but I don't really have a recollection for it. And I told myself, you know, I'm going to sit down with you and watch this. And, you know, I was getting into it and then it cut to a commercial break. And I was like, you're watching this like with commercials. I can't do this. So hopefully I will get to watch it without commercials soon because I would like to, you know, have that knowledge of all three Godfathers in my head. I will do that for you. I will make that promise. Uh, but why don't you tell me who you're talking with next week? Well, the next episode, I sit down actually with two guests, producer and actress Aubrey Plaza and writer and director Lawrence Michael Levine to talk about their just astonishing new movie, Black Bear. I think my first question was like, how the hell do you think that I'm going to be able to do this? Like, I think when Larry gave it to me, I was very flattered that he believed in me so much that he felt like I could handle the material. And so I think that was the biggest question for me is like, I, I don't know if I can pull this off but I understand it on multiple levels. Get that conversation with Aubrey Plaza and Lawrence Michael Levine in the next episode of our podcast. The Envelope, the podcast, is hosted and reported by me, Mark Olson, and Yvonne Villarreal. Our producers are Paige Heimsen and Shannon Lynn, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our audio engineer is Mike Heflin, who's also responsible for our killer theme song. If you like The Envelope, the podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star review on Apple. It really does help. The Envelope is created by the journalists at the LA Times. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Thanks for listening and see you next time.